0: Hi, welcome to our Chewing the Fat speaker series podcast. I'm Anna Lippin, a student intern for the El Sustainable Food Program, and today I'm speaking with Carrie Diamond and Claudia Wu, co-founders and co-editors of Cherry Bomb, uh, which is a biannual indie publication celebrating women in food. They've also expanded to include an annual conference in New York City called Jubilee, where the pages come to life, in which I was lucky enough to attend this past spring, and I can say that um, meeting these women in person is a pretty incredible experience. So today uh, we're going to talk with Carrie and Claudia about Cherry Bomb. So welcome.
1: Hi, Hi. Anna, thank you.
0: So I want to start at the very beginning um, because I don't know these things even as an avid reader of Cherry Bomb since and contributor. the first issue. Yeah, now, for us, now contributor. Um, so How did your career paths before Cherry Bomb converge? And how did that
1: lead up to the creation of Cherry Bomb? It's a great question. Well, this is Carrie, and I'm the editorial director. And Claudia and I worked together at Harper's Bazaar back in...
2: 99, maybe?
1: No, I got there in 2001. Oh, you did? Oh. So
2: I got there after September 11th, I do remember. So, yeah, 2001. Yeah,
1: so um, So we connected. I was on the editorial side. Claudia was on the creative side. And we just stayed in touch over the years. I mean, we weren't like best buds. We weren't hanging out all the time. But I, I wonder if it had a lot to do with tacoon. I bet it did.
2: Yeah, I started a magazine, and I featured a lot of ex ex bizarre alums, I think. Um, And Takoon was one of them. And I also did an issue on Habitual Jeans, the guys who started that, um, who ended up at Helmet Lang, and now I think they recently left. But, yeah, I did a lot on people that I knew. So Carrie was always a big supporter of of Friends, and and, uh, she was a supporter of the magazine that I did before Cherry Bomb, too. But I think I always loved food. Um, I was a pretty avid baker when I was younger, and my f- still to this day my favorite job ever was working at the coffee shop at my college. I had a friend that I worked with and we, we still talk about it. Were you a barista? <laughs> Basically, but it was kind of like, there were no fancy machines or anything. It was kind of like drip coffee and pastries, but I just love the service industry and I love those little interactions you have with people. Um, and you're basically just making them happy. You know, you're giving them food. And it's kind of a great, um, it's, it's, I miss that in my job now, where I just sit alone in front of my computer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're not always alone. So so yeah, so we worked at Bazaar together. And then I left Bazaar and went to Lancôme. And that's when Claudia and I were in touch about her magazine, Me Magazine. And then from Lancôme, I went to Coach. Somewhere along the line, I started dating a chef. He asked if I wanted to open a restaurant, so we opened some restaurants, and today I do Cherry Bomb, the restaurants, and I'm also the editor of Yahoo Food, so I'm working with the Yahoo crew these days.
0: So what was it about the intersection, specifically of women and food, that was so compelling to you um, in terms of you know the conversation that started Cherry Bomb? Why focus on specifically women, food, and fashion? Because... Uh, historically, those things haven't always been so congruent.
1: Correct. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. I mean, for me, the motivation was, so I start, I opened this restaurant with my boyfriend. He had a lot of people asking him if he wanted to do a cookbook. And the idea just seemed a little dated to us at the time (laughs) um, about doing a cookbook and we said, well, what about what if we do an annual magazine for the restaurant? That might be more fun, might be more fun for the community that we're in and part of over in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. And I said, well, I know somebody who does a magazine, and she makes it look so easy. Let me call Claudia. So I got in touch with Claudia. Little did I know it's not so easy.
2: No one saw the tears. I cried. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. I didn't cry. But you know, it's it's hard. Yeah, we haven't
1: cried yet over Cherry Bomb, (laughs) have we? Inside. We cry on the inside all day long. So I got in touch with Claudia, and we just started hanging out and talking and having meals. Like we would eat at um, around Soho, right? Because you had your office on Crosby Street, and the conversation evolved from this annual magazine for my restaurant to what Cherry Bomb was back then. And part of it, I mean, first and foremost, we love magazines. We love print. We love magazines. We love design. Um, we thought there was something lacking with the... As much as we love so many of the food magazines, and weirdly, in the three years we've been doing this, the food magazines have evolved a lot. So just remember, I'm talking about food magazines from like five, three to five years ago. So we thought the magazine, the food magazine scene was kind of boring. And at the same time, I was learning very quickly as a restaurant owner that I had no community in in food whereas in fashion when i worked in fashion and beauty i had a really wonderful supportive people think the fashion industry is this like really mean industry they've watched the devil wears prada one too many times but it it actually can be a very wonderful supportive industry and it's where i met all my friends and you've got organizations like the council of fashion designers of america that really takes care of young designers there's nothing like that in food so the only people i really knew in food were guys and I was like, where are all the women? I really want some women friends in this industry. And the more we talked about it, we realized that there were just so many women doing incredible things and really not getting their fair share of attention. So how
0: you just spoke about the tears that have gone uncried, <laughs> definitely uncried. But you know, it's it's not a small decision now in the 21st century to start a magazine that is print only. So how do you or are you developing a sustainable business model for a magazine that only comes out twice a year on beautiful, heavy
1: paper with gorgeous photos? That's expensive, I assume. That's a great question. Yeah, you're correct. and when you, That's why the magazine costs $20. Um, it's, it's a great question, and it's something that's still evolving. I mean, I don't know that people necessarily believe us when I tell them that we launched this without a business plan.
2: Yeah, we we really did it because we love print. Um, we didn't we didn't think about you know five years down the line. We did didn't, we think
1: about five months no, down the line? No, really didn't.
2: <laughs> I mean, um, it's funny because now being in a position we are now. I tell everyone because when I first did my first magazine, I was kind of like the go-to person. Every time someone wanted to start a magazine, they were like, "Talk to Claudia." And I'd always be like, "Why are you doing this? Like, what is your goal? If you think it's glamorous, you're 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 you shouldn't do it. You know, if you think you're just gonna get to travel and like meet amazing people, and you know, just you know, sail through this whole magazine publishing thing, it's not as easy as it looks."
1: I mean, we do get all the perks that you just mentioned, but at the same time, we're never not working. We're
2: never not working. It's a lot of heavy boxes, a lot of trips to the post office. Um, Definitely, yeah, there are some perks. But um, if it's something... You work every weekend. You work all the time. It's not something you're going to get rich on (laughs) unless you get, like, a huge publisher behind you who just has a ton of money to throw at it. But we are... We... When we launched the magazine,
1: we really weren't thinking beyond just doing a very nice magazine that had somewhat of a mission attached to it. And I think what happened to us is, you know, a combination of luck and smarts and the zeitgeist and all of those great things in that we found an audience very, very quickly. And without knowing this was going to happen, we tapped into something that was Simmering very much under the surface, and we discovered that a lot of women in the food world were very unsatisfied with what was going on in terms of so many things media attention, job opportunities, etc. And our timing just happened to be great. So, what happened was the magazine found an audience very quickly, and opportunities just started presenting themselves to us. You know, one of our contributors asked if, if we'd be interested in having a radio show. So that's how our radio show at Heritage Radio Network uh, came about, the Radio Cherry Bomb podcast. And then people have gotten in touch with us to do books and to do TV shows. And when the whole um, gods of food controversy erupted that I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about, the it became very clear that there were all these really wonderful conferences taking place around the world, very meaningful conferences where important issues are being discussed. But women were not part of the conversation. And I assumed the reason that women weren't taking part is because they were just too busy. They had families. They couldn't just up and go to Copenhagen you know, on a dime's notice and have someone else run their restaurant. And I read a story with Gabrielle Hamilton. I think it was in The New Yorker. And Gabrielle was talking about the conference issue. And she said, I'm not even invited to these conferences. and. Eater wrote a story around the same time about the lack of, of female participation in these conferences. And I was like, if Gabrielle Hamilton's not being asked to participate, who is? And that's that's yeah. what sort of led to our Jubilee Conference.
2: I think I tell people now, having done this thing with Cherry Bomb, that your magazine is your brand. And we were able to build up a brand and, and have a following But the magazine itself, unless you sell advertising, is never going to make money on the newsstand. So everything we do around it, the conferences, the radio show, the books, the consulting projects, that's where you're going to get your income. And when we first started the magazine, we met with someone at Vice who told us, don't call yourselves a magazine, call yourself a media company. And I think at the time, I didn't realize what that meant. But here two years, you know, two or three years later, now I I get it. You know, you can't just do the magazine. It's I wouldn't you know, people say print is dead and I wouldn't say that's true because people still love print. But yeah, print is not dead. But you have to do other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How has you spoken a bit about Cherry Bomb when it first started versus Cherry Bomb now? So how has the magazine itself actually changed to reflect whether it's growing awareness about the Dartha woman in the food industry or, or whatever um, might be changing the tone? I
2: think, I think we've had a—I a, feel like we've had a pretty positive impact on that front. I think women are kind of more in the forefront than they perhaps were. And, of course, we only feature women, so they're definitely in the forefront of Cherry Bomb. But I do—you know, Carrie did mention, you know, other magazines have started realizing that there are women out there that deserve to to be in the press and to be written about, um, and it's not just women who are in restaurants. I think that's that's also kind of going away, like Carrie said earlier. Um, you know that whole thing about being a you know being like the star chef. I feel like
1: Bradley Cooper and burnt. Yeah, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> maybe we've
2: reached the pinnacle. Of that scene or there that be, state of mind.
1: As much as I want to see that movie, we might all look back one day as this is the moment when it all ended for the celebrity show, <laughs> <chef. laughs> that movie. You must look like Bradley Cooper <laughs> or yeah. you are not a chef. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, what was the question again? I'm totally We're thinking just Bradley change I got distracted. The change in tenor. Of, oh, yeah, of I, I, I agree with what Claudia said. The Everybody's on watch now, basically. I mean you can't do a magazine or an event or a conference or whatever and not have female participation in those conferences. Everybody's everybody's paying attention now. And you still have conferences where and events and these big like food events where it's not 50-50, but things have definitely gotten better and we call out people when they We'll do things that are guy-only. When I'm involved in conferences, I always look at the the makeup of the um, of the speakers or the participants. You know, and it's not just women; it's it's race, ethnicity, gender. It's all of those things, and it's been skewed in one direction for a very long time. And it it changed really quickly. I I have to say, it was it's been very heartening to see the change that's happened and. You know, we have a we have a really great chef in our next issue, Angela from Mission...
2: Mission Chinese um, Food. Mission yeah. Chinese.
1: And she's the future. Yeah. You know, she is a badass female chef, and she's leading her kitchen, and she turned around the reputation of that restaurant. And I think there are going to be more and more people like her. You know, the thing that's exciting um, for me, I don't want to talk to Claudia, but I think we are of like minds with this, is that... I think everybody in food's mission has changed, though. I think, yes, we're all paying attention to the issues I just talked about, gender and, and race and all that. But if you're in food today, there's a much bigger thing that's going on. And that's just its the whole food equality issue. And whether it's farm workers' rights, the rights of fast food workers, a living wage, food deserts, making sure people get healthy food, school lunches, all of those things. If you're in food and you're not focused on that in some way, shape, or form, get out of the industry, because you shouldn't be in it. That's
0: such a great point, because that's something that here at Yale we think a lot about. We have a lot of people involved with the Yale Sustainable Food Program that come at it from a lot of different lenses. There's the environmental perspective, the food justice perspective, the racial equality perspective. So, And I think, you know, just leaping through your issues, um, you mentioned Angela Miyuga. She's a chef. Um, but could you guys maybe give some examples of other women that you featured in your issues that maybe aren't chefs per se, but are examples of people sort of changing the tenor in different sides of the food industry?
2: Yeah, we try and do a farm story every issue. In um, the issue coming out next, we have the story of a, some, a, a girl who was an, she was trying to be an actress, and then she realized her aunt and uncle had um, an organic farm in, in New York State, and she turned it into a space where playwrights and writers could come and do retreats and, you know, live on the farm. Um, you know, we've done stories on a lot of farmers, I feel, in Long Island and Vermont. It's also, um, uh we should talk about Jordan Lexton. Oh, I was yeah. She's going to bring her up. Yeah.
1: She's just amazing. Jordan was an English teacher at Rikers. I don't even know if Jordan's in her 30s yet, but um, she's really an amazing human being. She was an English teacher at Rikers, which is the big prison in New York City, and she realized um, that—I don't think this is the case anymore—but New York State used um, to—they used to jail teens in Rikers, and I, I feel like there have been some laws that have changed about teens and felonies and all of that. But anyway, when she was there, there were teens at Rikers, and she was really upset at the world they were being released into. They're being released with no job skills, no opportunities, no training, no nothing. So she quit her job, worked on a food truck to learn how to run a food truck, bought her own food truck, and then started hiring these young adults out of Rikers, giving them job training, giving them an opportunity. Um, Her truck is called, her organization's called Drive Change. Her truck is called Snow Day. And they do these really wonderful sort of Canadian-esque maple-inspired treats like great grilled cheese sandwiches and things like that. And... Jordan's the future. You know, that's such an important thing that she's doing. And she's not a chef. You know, she's just somebody who wanted to make a difference and saw a way to do it through food. You know, similarly, another person we're a huge fan of is Martha Hoover, who's a restaurateur, you might have met her at the Jubilee conference. Um, she's spoken twice now. Martha's a restaurateur in Indianapolis, started as a sex crimes prosecutor, she had young children. She was like, why are we surrounded by farmland, yet none of the restaurants in Indianapolis are serving anything from farms? It's all processed food off the back of a truck, reheated in the microwave. So with no restaurant experience, opened a restaurant, is now probably Indianapolis's most successful restaurateur. And I think she's got like, what, eight, 10 restaurants? I'll be in Indy in a few weeks, so I'll I'll have to count them. But Martha, last year in December, opened a restaurant called um, Public Greens, and all the profits from Public Greens go to support her foundation, which was set up to help um, children in need get healthier food. And she's working through the Indianapolis school system. So, yeah, there are countless examples. There, are.
2: yeah, and we, you know, we've done stories on edible schoolyards. Um, Tanya Holland down in Oakland also hires, you know, people right out of jail to train them. So there are a lot of things that you can do in food um, besides being, you know, a Reedy. star chef. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, and a star chef. You know, there are a lot of people
1: who are focused on these um, sort of startups. We were talking a little bit about it on the walk over here. Um, these startups the where – the buzzword of – Exactly. And you know what? N- nothing wrong with startups, but just make sure you're doing it for the right reason and not to turn around and sell your company for $50 million dollars. Because there are a lot of startups that maybe aren't the most environmentally responsible, things like yeah. that. I just got an email from the Yale Undergraduate Startup Organization. So, oh, that's cool. Any fun yeah. projects coming out of that? I, I will let
0: you know. Um, I think it's a pretty new thing. But I, I, right now, at least, I, I feel like on college campuses, and, or at least here, there's a really – big desire to be involved with social enterprise and social entrepreneurship. We had um, Jessamyn Rodriguez of Hubbard oh, Kitchen Heart. come mm-hmm. last year. And there were so many people there at that talk really trying to learn about how to start a socially responsible firm. So would you give you know any advice to college students that are looking to sort of blend maybe issues of feminism, issues of food justice, and then also with a sustainable business
1: model? Yeah. Well, first, no, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> Um, I think it just comes down to being mindful, you know, of everything you do. You know, I even like at Yahoo, for example, you know, I I think it's really important to have a diverse team that's very reflective of the food world. You know, you look at a lot of the food media, it's very white. You know, it's very easy just to go out and hire people who look just like you, who have backgrounds just like you, who know the people just like you. And you sometimes have to stop and think, well, why am I doing it this way? Maybe there's a better way to do this. You know, there's a lot of nobility in just having a restaurant and making good, decent food, and it's a very hard industry. You know, it would be nice to be able to to have all these practices that are going to sort of change the world and and take us all to the to the next level. Sometimes that's just not possible, but I think there are lots of little things that you can do, you know, you might not be able to change the world, but you can change the world around you easily. Um, and a question about sort of the
0: diver- diversity. There's an interesting question that comes up um, when you're talking about a magazine that is still a to women in food. And at the Jubilee Conference this past year, I spoke with Francis Lam, who actually was here almost exactly a year ago. Um, and he was talking about how he was conflicted about being a man at the Jubilee. So what is, (laughs) like, you know, I want to support this, but I don't know if this should be just for women. So what is your take on how men can be involved in this
1: conversation? (laughs) That's a great question. I think it comes down to look at your hiring practices. You know, there are still a lot of kitchens. You know, all those restaurants that have open kitchens, you can very easily look in and see what the – the makeup is of the staff. Um, you know, I don't think it's so much him versus her. I think, you know, we just happen to be an organization, a, a media company, whatever you want to call us, that is focused on helping women move forward in lots of different ways. And I don't mind that there aren't guys involved in the conversation. We had Yotam Lenke on our radio show the other day, and he was only like the third guy who's ever been on our radio show. And I said to him, you know, I'd like to say we don't discriminate, but actually we do. (laughs) I think there are lots of issues very unique to women. You know, even if things were completely fair and equitable out in the world, um, they're just not. We still give birth. We still give birth. Yeah. And I think the the Mom issue is probably the biggest one confronting the food issue in that we're, the, the food world that we're talking about right now, just sort of the, the one in America. I mean, it's really hard to have kids and have a, a career anywhere, let alone in food. I mean, if anybody read Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones, and Butter, did you read that I book? I love that book. I, I mean, it's fantastic. But she's nine months pregnant yeah. in a kitchen smaller than this recording studio, and her sous chef quits. Two weeks before she was about to give birth and that's reality
2: yeah but i always tell guys it's about girls and food that's all guys want really right <laughs> it's really wow. amazing for you exactly. a lot this of people is...
1: say that to me and they're like what's the magazine about and i say oh women and food and they're like oh i love both exactly like, there you go the ideal coffee table book for so many yeah reasons but but women as much as things have changed and and things are great for people like the three of us you know when you look around the world it's still a pretty shitty situation for women and even just getting girls educated things like that so people who not not very many people give us a hard time about <laughs> our exclusionary practices but the people who do I'm like all right come talk to me when it's a totally fair world yeah because i think as as you've
0: explained and as i've definitely seen cherry bomb has had such a profound impact on at least like food media for example um and the visibility of um just women in in the food industry in general but there's definitely a point at which media itself can't really accomplish everything that that we're you know trying to do in in terms of creating equitable food systems so that's why I mean it's so great that you feature edible schoolyard for example um and drive change because they're really part of that um and I want to shift the conversation to the fashion side <laughs> of things because you both met You met at Harper's. And, bizarre. Um, bizarre, yeah. Not, not the yeah, other sorry, Harper's. Not, yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about how in the past few years there have been more and more instances of people in the fashion industry sort of jumping into the food world, and I wanted to know what you thought about that like all these models that now have cooking shows and um you know or people in the fashion industry brands
1: having like a food line what do you think about that I think at the end of the day it's fun uh, you know people used to ask us this all the time when we first launched I guess because Carly Kloss was on our first cover <laughs> so it's a question that makes sense um I guess it's sort of I, I think it's sort of a natural coming together because both worlds are so focused on aesthetics. You know, you can just serve food, but it makes all the difference in a world if you're paying attention to smells and colors and taste and all of those things. And it's the same thing in fashion. You know, you can throw like a brown sweatshirt on, but why would you, you know? Um, so. So they're really two industries that are very aesthetically driven, so it kind of makes sense that they've come together.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you could say fashion people are probably more conscious about what they eat and put in their bodies than the average person. So I think you know there is a there is kind of that idea of you are what you eat um, and being you know being good to yourself and being a healthy, well-rounded overall person. Um. I think it also just doves, dovetails with food.
1: You know, whether we like it or not, food has become very a very, very trendy subject. And there are good things about that and there are bad things about that. The good things are when it makes people more comfortable about eating, when it makes people more into, hey, I have a kitchen. I'm going to learn how to use my kitchen. I'm going to learn how to cook for myself. I, you know, if farmer's markets are chic, great I would much rather see people out there exploring farmers markets than adding to their handbag collection or putting another pair of shoes in their closets like it's a good thing if we're fetishizing farmers and farms and farm stands and clean eating and healthy food it's it's that's a good trend
0: yeah and much better than eating nothing at all for sure exactly yeah and also in in relation to that um, food and fashion these industries are both really strong in New York and I was wondering um, if you could give me a sense what your circulation is like, and also if you think you'd be able to do all the things that you don't de- do now anywhere else, or is it really That's a great question? Is it really we about talk? New
1: York? We talk about fleeing New York. That's what I was wondering from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we print ten thousand issues of the magazine, and uh, could we do it elsewhere? I think we could. I mean, I think think what's helped us get to this point is Claudia and I came to this project with a lot of relationships. And would we have had those relationships and that know-how if we weren't in these big New York industries? I don't know. What do you think, Claudia?
2: Probably not, but— I think at this point we could go to Alaska and just do everything by email. (laughs) Or a beach in Vietnam. Yeah. That's that's my dream. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know about Alaska. Somewhere warm.
1: Why are we talking about LA? I I don't don't know know. about Alaska. But I do think, uh, what was I going to say about that again? Oh, we've talked about this a little bit, the whole rise of the secondary and tertiary city. And I think that's a really interesting trend, especially if you're someone who's in college today you know when we were in college and we've a bit of an age difference but i think when both of us were in college new york was the be all and the end all la wasn't even a cool place to go to unless you were in the, the entertainment industry but i spent a lot of time traveling around the south because my boyfriend's south and we do a lot of like the southern food conferences and um events down there and we've driven you know for a native new yorker i've spent way more time down south than most native new yorkers than i've seen big chunks of Mississippi and Arkansas and North Carolina and South Carolina and Alabama. And one of the nicest trends I've seen is the sort of reclaiming of downtowns. And these downtowns were decimated. Whether you want to blame Walmart or the economy or whatnot, businesses just fled these downtowns. And they left behind all these beautiful buildings And all this wonderful architecture. And now you've got young people coming in and reclaiming these spaces in cities like Birmingham, Alabama, and Little Rock, Arkansas. And where else have I? I mean, there's so many examples. Memphis. I was just in Memphis, and there's so much great stuff going on there. And this wasn't happening just a few years ago. And it's really food that is pushing this forward. You've got people opening great little sort of delis and gourmet restaurants and takeout places and restaurants. And it's it's a fascinating trend to watch. And I think it's it's really going to change everything because, yes, today we could pick up the magazine and move it somewhere else. And I think people are starting lots of interesting businesses out of these smaller cities. And, you know, you've got the internet and you've got social media and you've got crowdfunding and you don't need the infrastructure of a big city the way you used to.
0: Hmm. Um, So the last thing that I want to do is the cherry bomb rapid fire. (laughs) (laughs) That's Claudia's thing. Yeah. So Carrie and and Claudia host now uh, Radio Cherry Bomb. And at the end of each of their episodes, they ask their guests uh, some fun questions. So now I'm going to ask you the same questions. The tables have been turned. Uh So uh, we can do Carrie, then Claudia. and
1: Keep going. Okay. Coffee or tea? Uh, I do like both. I always start the day with coffee, and I probably have tea in the afternoon. I should shout out Gullah Girl Tea. We have her in our new issue, and I just had some of her tea yesterday. It's great.
2: Um, Tea only. How do you—what type of tea? I'll usually have green tea in the morning and then just switch to herbal all day. What's in your fridge right now?
1: Oh, my God. There is so much in my fridge right now. It's out of control. We just did an event with Tattinger Champagne. I actually have um, about five bottles of champagne. But I made a ton of quinoa this weekend. I went to the farmer's market. I made some homemade almond milk last night. I Claudia's been a really big influence on me, so I'm eating a lot healthier. these. Days. Not that I ever had a bad diet, but I loved ice cream, and I have a wicked sweet tooth. But my fridge is looking
2: pretty righteous right now almond milk wow almond milk, almond milk with um fresh turmeric whoa <laughs> yes i made this that last night It's that's next level for sure that's wow um i also have a lot of like champagne in my fridge <laughs> <laughs> that i don't even drink um so someone invite me to a dinner party i'll bring some um i have like kabocha squash in there right now i have a lot of pomegranates for some reason um, I'm trying to think
1: what else Oh I just bought a pomegranate and I, I have to confess I've never cut one It's because Yotam Adelangi was with you He's I'll show you how to I do it Do you do yeah. it underwater? No, I'll no. show you okay. how to do
2: it someday um, Someday soon, it's going to go bad yeah. <laughs> What else? Uh, some salmon, some smoked fish It's a pretty
0: good combination um, I'm going to add one Where would you like to travel to next?
1: Uh, I always want to go to Paris. I love Paris so much, but I really am dying to go to Tokyo.
2: I think, yeah, I would love to go to Japan or Australia or the Nordic countries or Southeast Asia. (laughs) Sounds like you have a big trip planned. Yeah.
0: Um, Favorite kitchen tool? I
1: love my Vitamix.
2: Mm, I'm going to say my kitchen scale
0: favorite and least favorite food
2: oh gosh least
1: favorite is brains i won't eat brains um i pretty much eat everything else although i'm uh w- what did bella called earlier culturally vegan i feel like i'm culturally vegan um my favorite food oh god it's probably a tie between a few things like ice cream and mac and cheese and
2: you know stuff from your childhood Uh, least favorite I don't eat meat so anything with four legs and a face (laughs) Um, and then favorite probably dark chocolate I eat that every day do you have a favorite brand all of them all not all of them (laughs) well we had Amy Coutard on the show recently and her she gave me her 85% chocolate bar which was amazing I've had some good chocolates though I I don't know if I could pick one I don't know they're all pretty good I've been using my meal swipes recently to buy exclusively
0: chocolate.
1: (laughs) You're living on chocolate? Yeah,
0: that's basically it. Um, Favorite
1: drink? I've asked that a lot, and it's always the same answer, and I get booed. It's water. I love water.
2: Oh, that's so boring. (laughs) 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 Sorry. I'm going to go with an alcoholic drink. (laughs) It's not my favorite because I love the taste, but I love it because it doesn't give me a hangover. It's tequila straight tequila on the rocks with fresh lime.
0: Sounds perfect.
1: And go to restaurants. Oh, that would be my own restaurant. Oh yeah. I, yeah, sorry. Uh Wilma Besides team. your own restaurant? Besides my own restaurants. That's a tough one. Um I do love uh it's a guy chef, but I love barbudo in um Manhattan, Jonathan Waxman's place. Um, I love, oh, I also love Dimes. I'm sort of addicted to Dimes right now on the Lower East Side, on Canal Street. Mm-hmm. If you come to New York and you're looking to eat a little healthier, cleaner, and and see a really fun place run by two great young women, go to Dimes.
2: Yeah, I would say go to, if I go out, which I rarely do, Dimes, El Rey. And if I really wanna be healthy, I'll go to Suen, which is this <laughs> macrobiotic place that's been around forever. But they have some really good stuff. You just have to know what to order. Yeah,
1: it's a nice little plain for me. But that's
2: the (laughs) the point, I Mm -hmm. think.
0: Sometimes you need to throw back to a macro plate. Um, Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much, Carrie and Claudia.
1: Thanks, Anna. It was great to see you again.